0: Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, please. Acts chapter 7. And a sermon by a deacon there named Stephen. And what a sermon it was. And I want to get his opening words, and I've already used them this morning, but I'll use them again. What a blessed privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord. The New Testament temple of the living God. And to be able to worship Him Fearlessly, boldly, as the Bible tells us. And I hope that we can get to uh, some points about the land that I hope will encourage your souls even further about the privilege of being here today. Acts chapter 7. Let's get the last verse of chapter 6 so that you can see what Stephen looked like. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face, as it had been the face of an angel. The God of glory has revealed himself to this world by various ways, and one of them was this man, this deacon, with a shining face, like an angel. Mm -hmm. And here's what he had to say. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Karen and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession, and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise. That his seed should sojourn in a strange land. And that they should bring them into bondage. And entreat them evil. Four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge. Said God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac. And circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs, and amen. And so in these eight verses, the deacon Stephen covers 14 chapters of Genesis in summary form. And what a sermon it was. And they would have been shouting amen with Stephen until he gets to the end. The glorious end of his sermon. But that's for another time. Let's come now over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, the God of glory appeared unto Abraham. We don't believe that we're here by chance. We don't believe in a big bang theory. We don't believe we came from monkeys. We believe that we were created by the Lord God Jehovah. I am that I am, revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And that 2,000 years after creation, 500 years before Moses, or 430 years, if you want to be precise, as I tried to teach you this past week, he appeared to Abraham. The God of glory appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia and revealed himself and gave glorious hints of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're able to understand on this side of the cross very clearly and rejoice in those covenant promises. Yea, let us rejoice. The Lord reigneth and the Lord's our Savior and he has saved us. Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy, and five years old when he departed out of Haran, called Karen in the New Testament. Seventy-five years old, he's got a hundred years in front of him that the next 14 chapters of the Bible tell us about. But God said, leave your nation, leave your people, leave your family, come out of that place, come into a land that I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. You're going to be a blessing. Other nations are going to be blessed in you. And all families of the earth will be blessed in you. Right. Meaning, in your seed. Sometimes it says in Abraham. Sometimes it says in his seed. So how do we put the two together? We know it's his seed. We know it's his seed. But that seed came through Abraham by the choice of God. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith... Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the gospel is being preached right here. Because it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham's an incredible figure in human history by God's special promises to him. Three religions, 53% of the earth, claim Abraham as father. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism... Many wars have been fought about him and God's promises to him, especially the land promise. What is the Abrahamic covenant? It is God's promises to Abraham and to a future seed. Some aspects of the covenant are earthly and natural to his biological descendants. Remember, we want to keep four ideas in mind when we read a promise to Abraham. Some aspects of the covenant are earthly and natural to his biological descendants. Some aspects of the covenant are conditional on the obedience of his descendants. Some aspects of the covenant are heavenly and spiritual to his spiritual descendants. Some aspects of the covenant are unconditional by the work of the main seed, the Lord Jesus Christ." These options need to be kept open for each of ten promises or so that God made to them. I never want to shortcut the Bible. It's exceeding broad. As we won't know from Psalm 119 and a section that we have sung this morning and the last verse ended with that. We need to keep these options open. Consider national versus spiritual fulfillments this way. So God makes a promise to Abraham you can look at it and say it was fulfilled naturally. And I'm going to say, well, it was fulfilled spiritually. And you're going to say, but he used the word land. And I'm going to do this. If I promise you $100, but I give you $300, have I kept my promise? If I promise you a one-week vacation to Charleston, sorry, but I fly you to Bali for three weeks at a resort, did I keep my word? I exceeded my word. And God's promises exceed. They're always exceeding. Because in Jesus Christ, everything is exceeding. It's an unspeakable gift. It's unsearchable riches that are through Jesus Christ. And so Abraham didn't even get any land to put the sole of his foot on. He had to buy a burial ground when that's not an inheritance. When you have to pay for it yourself, that's not a gift from God. And so we see these little hints that, okay, He got some land. Okay, Moses and Joshua got some land, but the real promise, the big one, the resort in Bali, is heaven. Heaven's a whole lot better. Heaven's a whole lot better. But you got to remember those four things. Then, we need to remember two crucial keys that I spent so much time on last week. Two crucial keys, interpretive keys, to be honored, to rightly understand these promises. Jesus and Christians are Abraham's seed, the true seed, and the objects of the promises. And I gave you many verses. You want your children to know one or two of those verses, especially Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. It doesn't say of seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. That is an incredibly important verse. Galatians 3.16 and you want to teach your children so they can never be led astray, that there's real fulfillment back there in Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, that's the middle verse of the chapter. And if you go to the end, you're going to find out that we that believe and have been baptized have put on Christ, and we are Abraham's seed by being in Christ because we were baptized into him and put him on by faith. And in him, there is neither Jew nor Greek, which means there's no more Abraham. Abraham disappears once we're into Jesus Christ. Know those verses. Amen. You young people know them. Right. On this subject, you want to know Galatians 3. And so, the first crucial key, Jesus is the real seed of Abraham so that when we're looking at a promise to Abraham and or a promise to Abraham's seed, we think Christ we think New Testament, we think gospel, we think heaven, we think redemption, we think justification. We think the great multitude that no man can number that's in heaven. Second key, Abraham had a spiritual, not a carnal earthly or natural view of the promises made to him. He saw them correctly. The problem is what I have to unteach you is what other men have taught you in the past, and that is some of you, that the promises are fulfilled in Abraham and his biological descendants, the Jews that live in the world today, though it is very hard to find a real Jew, even by their own admission. But nevertheless, I have to undo that by pointing out that Abraham did not see the promises being fulfilled biologically, earthly, geologically, in the sand of of Canaan. He saw them being fulfilled in heaven and he knew he had another seed coming because Jesus said Abraham rejoiced to see his son Isaac. No. Jesus said in John eight fifty six, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. He rejoiced for the big reason, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to remember those two things. I went through enough verses last time. What verse should you remember for this? I gave you John 8, 56. There's a whole string of them. The other place you could go is Hebrews 11, where it says that Abraham was not looking for any, a city in this world. He was looking for a different kind of a country. He wasn't even looking for a country like the one he had come out of. He was looking for a heavenly country and a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a divine city. With those two rules, those two keys in mind, Jesus and Christians are the true seed of Abraham. Abraham understood the promises made to him in a spiritual way. You are saved from error. When these two points are accepted, Schofield's carnal, natural, literal fables of dispensationalism and Zionism are refuted and rejected as heresies by the Bible. And all you need is a couple of verses, and you can just blow them away. They don't know what they're talking about. Any blessing in the earth that has a connection to Abraham is not through his biological descendants, it is through his spiritual descendant, who was a biological descendant, through Mary of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, right. Remember prophetic perspective, and I'm going to pass over this very quickly. Prophetic perspective. New Testament writers use the future tense for past events when they were prophesied by an Old Testament prophet that used the future tense. Right. I don't know how to say it any plainer than that. A New Testament writer writing an Old Testament prophecy and applying it to an event then occurring or having already occurred, uses the future tense because he is quoting accurately. And it was in the future tense by that writer in the Old Testament or that prophet in the Old Testament. And when these dispensationalists or Zionists take you to a place in the New Testament and show you the future tense, you just remember what I just told you and look in the context and find out that it's already passed and the future tense was the Old Testament prophet looking forward. Amen. Thank you, Lord, amen. for showing us that. Yeah, amen. And so all Israel shall be saved. Yep. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will shake the heavens and the earth. All passed. All passed to Paul. Let alone us. Thank you, Lord. I was asked a good question last Sunday, which I put in an update. Did Jewish fables start with Theodore Herzl, the father of Zionism? C.I. Schofield, one of the main contributors to dispensationalism? David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of the state of Israel? Did Jewish fables start with those men? No. Zionism and Jewish fables began with Jewish reprobates in the Old Testament, assuming prophecies of Messiah and a glorious Zion were natural and were going to be fulfilled in this world with a king on a throne throwing off foreign nations and foreign powers and reestablishing Israel as a dominant earthly nation. And it was in the Old Testament. The temple of the Lord are these. The temple of the Lord are these. The temple of the Lord are these. That's Jeremiah 7, just as it's given. Taking confidence in a building. It's the kind of thinking that took the Ark of the Covenant into battle and thought that they would win an earthly battle by taking a a four-and-a-half-foot-long box. It was a little tiny thing. I hope your hope chest, girls, is bigger than that. You can't get anything into a a four-and-a-half-foot box except two tables of stone, a little pot of manna, and a rod that budded, and the Ten Commandments on two tables of stone. Anyway, it was a small box, but they wanted that box in battle. That was a nationalistic concept of them thinking on an earthly level instead of a spiritual level, and it just continues with them. They're reprobates. They were the ones that weren't saved in Israel. The ones that were saved knew there was a spiritual hope and spiritual promises and a spiritual Messiah that was coming that they were looking for. I mean, Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias and Simeon and Anna, they were not confused about the Messiah coming at all. They were waiting for him because they knew he was about to arrive and they knew that he was their salvation in a real sense, in a spiritual sense, instead of an earthly or national sense. And so when we look in the Bible and we see it in the Old Testament... And, you know, to make this, we see it in the New Testament. I'm trying to cut verses. If you need me to send you nine single-space pages of verses, I'll do it this afternoon. Just ask me. Because I need, to, I need to cover some ground today. When John the Baptist was out there baptizing in Matthew chapter 3, the first encounter we have with John the Baptist, that great man of God, the Pharisees came out there and he said, Oh, generation of vipers! who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. If you think you've got Abraham to your father, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And right there is that great conflict. If you think because your birth certificate says Abraham, that you're safe, that you're covered, that you're saved, that God wants to bless you, you're wrong on every count. Jesus said it. Jesus told the Jews that they were not really the children of Abraham. There was so much confusion. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Even the apostles were confused. When did the apostles lose their confusion? The day of Pentecost. When do we lose our confusion? When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. He doesn't open our eyes to all truth at once. He opens our eyes to truth a little bit at a time. I feel like the man that Jesus anointed his eyes and said, What do you see? I see men like trees walking. (laughs) Go wash them and now tell me what do you see. Oh, I see clearly. That's the way the Lord does it. you know. And he shows us a little bit at a time. It's progressive revelation throughout the pages of the Bible, and it's progressive revelation in our own lives. And when the Lord shows you a little bit of truth, grab onto it, rejoice, and run with it. Then he'll show you more. That's the way he works. Acts chapter 1. The apostles and the Lord Jesus are together. The day that he's going to be taken up, he's moments before his ascension into heaven. Verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Unbelievable. He had taught them for three and a half years, my kingdom does not come with observation, my kingdom is within you. He had taught them, the law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And they're asking about this kingdom because that is how they thought. They had been ingrained that, they, that, that someone, a son of David, the son of David, their Messiah, would come and deliver them from Rome. And so they thought naturalistically. But they were wrong. And Jesus just brushed them off. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But ye shall receive power. If you want to talk about a big event, quit telling me about your imagination and tell me what is about to happen. You're going to receive power and you're going to be witnesses unto me in the whole earth. And that was, the, that was a huge change. And that was a, an expansion of the spiritual kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the Abrahamic promises? And this is what we get to do. Land. Great nation, many nations, blessings, great name, blessing or curse, all nations blessed, multiplied seed, thy God, and enemies conquered. Now we use Paul's plural promises for compiling a list of blessings promised to Abraham. Now to Abraham and his seed, were the uh oh, I gave it away with the word were. Is were singular or plural? It's plural. Now to Abraham and his seed was the promise made. No. Now to Abraham, this is Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And so we take the liberty of looking at everything said to Abraham and said about his seed and blow it up by the gospel. Because Abraham looked at them that way. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Well, where are you going to get Jesus out of the promises to Abraham unless you do a little creative thinking and application of God's word from the New Testament looking back. We never put on the spectacles of the Old Testament and look forward. We only put on the spectacles of the New and look backward. And that shows us everything that we want to see when we do that. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. You know There are some, there are some people in this world who were not dispensationalists, they were not Zionists, and they understood the great importance of the promises made to Abraham in a spiritual way. Luke 1. Mary. How old was she? 14? 16? She said in verse 46, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Verse 49, he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. You want to read some wonderful words? Read a teenage girl who's met the Lord and who loves him. Girls, wherever I see you, read this kind of stuff. This will blow your mind and heart. If you love God and can recognize a tremendous character coming through this girl's words. Verse 54 He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So the things that she is describing about Jesus Christ, she recognizes of course, by Holy Spirit help, that they were promises made to Abraham. She understood. She's understanding them in a spiritual way, not a physical way. When we come further down into this chapter, Zacharias takes off by the Holy Ghost in verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now notice, Zacharias understands mercy promised to Abraham, which is hard for us to find. In these kind of words back there, he understood a spiritual fulfillment of them. So, as I go back and find ten promises, oh, it's like being in a candy store, they've got 10 bins. Ten promises. We're going to look for their natural fulfillment to natural descendants and realize that's the hundred dollars owed, and then we're going to look for their spiritual fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's the 300 or the 3,000 or the three billion that's paid instead. Right. That slightly exceeds the natural aspect of the promises. But notice little Mary. And notice old Zacharias, they both had the same perspective on Abraham. He said wonderful things that were fulfilled spiritually. The enemies are not the four kings of Mesopotamia. The enemies are not Philistines taking on David. They're their enemies. And what was the goal? So that we can ride on white horses in a city of Jerusalem? No, that we might serve the Lord in holiness all the days of our lives because that's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's a spiritual land and a spiritual country, whether we're there, here, in between. In between doesn't last very long. The land promises. So let's look at the land promises. A land different and distant from Ur of the Chaldeans and from Haran, which was that 600 miles north of Ur, It's commonly called the promised land because it was promised. So we got to go back to Genesis chapter 12 and let's just read one or two of them. There's about eight of them. Let's just read a couple. Genesis, let's talk about the land for a minute. Or for minutes. The land. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, let me stop myself before I get to take your mind off of what I just read you. What I just read you from Luke chapter 1 is very important for you to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and for you to fully appreciate Abraham and the promises made to him you want to see what Mary said about Abraham and the promises and you want to see what Zechariah said I just gave you those two and I gave you Abraham when he said that when Jesus said that he rejoiced to see my day and I gave you Paul when he said now to Abraham and his seed were the promises plural made Now the Lord had said unto Abram Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and so forth, and so on. But it's a land that I will show thee. Verse 7, Genesis 12, 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. This is not the first appearance, but it's another appearance of God showing up and meeting with Abraham after he had met with him in Mesopotamia. Chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I'm going to give it to you, Abraham. And I'm gonna give it to your seed forever. So we've got to remember four little rules. Sometimes these things are fulfilled naturally to natural descendants. Sometimes they are fulfilled naturally to natural descendants conditionally, meaning I can pull the promise if you disobey. Sometimes they are fulfilled spiritually to spiritual descendants, and they are, fu- they are fulfilled, they are, and they're fulfilled and executed unconditionally through the work of the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you remember those four things, and you look at land, and you let the spectacles of the New Testament shine back on the Old Testament, and you remember the real seed is Jesus, so land. What did Jesus own? I don't know that Jesus owned any land. When you think about Jesus, and how did Abraham mean it? Oh, yes, I've got Hebrews 11 that tells me he was thinking about heaven. Right. And so when you put all, this all becomes simple. And so we get to preach the gospel from these words about land to Abraham. There's, there's many more. There's many more. You want, to, you want the last one? 24-7. Genesis 24-7. The last land promised to Abraham, and not to Isaac, not to Jacob, because he's going to confirm and repeat the promises to Isaac and to Jacob, but the last one to Abraham about land is 24-7. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house... And from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Servant, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. I've told you where to go get a wife for Isaac, and I expect you to do it, because we're going to honor this God that told me, This land is yours. So there's the land promise. Nations have fought for that land for millennia. Do you understand the importance of the things that we're learning? And we are in the first book of the Bible, and we are going to refer to the last book of the Bible, and everything in between is going to touch on this subject of the land in this earth, and a land that is not in this earth. This is a huge, broad subject to take up the covenants of God. And I have changed my course since I started this by telling you I was just going to give you some little Reader's Digest condensed book version of it. Because when you get into it, there's too much glory to pass over by not telling you some more of the details. The land's been fought over for millennia. Think Joshua. Destroyed seven nations to take their land as his possession. Think the book of Judges and how it passed back and forth with the deed card for Canaan. If you looked at it, it was stapled at the top because it had several layers after the book of Judges. Because a foreign power would come in and rule the land and take possession of it. Then God would raise up a judge and they'd throw him off. And you got to peel through the deed cards of the land of Canaan. Because they would disobey, God would take it away. God would restore it upon their repentance and so forth. David, did David ever fight for the land? Did David expand the territory from the Euphrates all the way to the Nile and make those nations tributary? to Israel? Did Assyria under Tiglath-Pileser and Shalmaneser and Sennacherib and other kings come in and take the land and fight for it with Israel? Did Babylon do it? Did Babylon take the Jews off the land? Did the Greeks do it? Not Alexander. Alexander did not touch Jerusalem. I wasn't there. All I can read is Jewish tradition and Josephus that Alexander, when he met the priests of the Most High God coming out of Jerusalem to meet him, he said, these men met me in my dreams when I was told to go defeat Persia. He never touched, he never touched Jerusalem. However, the generals that divided his empire did. Right. And so the Seleucids in Syria and the Ptolemies in Egypt fought back and forth, wars over Jerusalem, over that land. Antiochus the fourth, or known as Antiochus Epiphanes, is the main character there. How about Rome? Rome was possessing the land and dominating it, and their iron-clad boots were stomping its streets when G- John and Jesus were preaching. How about the Crusades, from the 900s to the 1200s, and how the popes, would they were they were not Christians? Our ancestors did not participate in the Crusades, right? But the Pope would call for military-aged men to gather together and to march on Jerusalem and to take it back from the Muslims. And so that went on for two or 300 years. Back in the 19th century, Theodore Herzl came up with the idea of Zionism, that there deserves to be a nation in this world, a state, a place. It's got to be in Palestine where Jews can immigrate and create a Jewish state. There's the Balfour Declaration to Lord Rothschild in 1917 in the British government, which resulted in the British mandate for territory in the Middle East from 1920 to 1948. In 1948, a Brit- an Israelite state was named, and a, an Israeli-Arab war was fought right then, immediately, because those nations did not want a state of Israel there. Then in 1967, 19 years later, the Six-Day War was fought, which I remember well as a child because I was 10 years old. In 1973, the Yom Kippur War was fought. The USA Middle East policy has been established by that land for a long time as being an integral part of how we operate in that part of the world. And I say all that in a short historical sketch of the importance of the land promise when it's misunderstood in the latter part of those names. In the former part of those names, Joshua, Judges, David, it was properly understood. This is our land. The land promises were not fulfilled literally or naturally to Abram, though declared to him. They were fulfilled naturally to his seed. And we have already seen that sometimes the promise is made to Abram that all nations of the earth are going to be blessed in him. And sometimes we're going to be blessed in his seed. And what is the real case? What's the real truth? We're blessed in his seed, because all nations of the earth are blessed in the Lord Jesus Christ and justification by faith in him. So when it says about the land, it's referring to his descendants, because he never got any of it. He had to buy a little piece of land to bury Sarah, and other relatives were buried there after that. I think I can pass over that one. Let's go to the next one. The land promises were fulfilled literally and naturally, To his descendants, let's look at that. Let's look at three. My favorite three, and Joshua chapter eleven, please. Joshua chapter eleven. Your your children are capable of memorizing these things. Some of them. If I can, you can. Do you know how much of my brain has already died, young man? Not much. We need to remember these things. These verses are precious. Especially, I've got two Schofield Bibles up here. I've got his original one from uh, 1909, I think. And I've got the new Schofield reference Bible up here, 1967. you got to take a look at him saying, Israel has not yet received the land of Palestine under the everlasting covenant for their perpetual ownership. And so we have verses like this which I shared with you two weeks ago in a slide presentation in your homes. Verse 21 of Joshua 11. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Deborah, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remain. Those are the Philistines. I wonder where Goliath came from. That's another subject for another time. Verse 21, so th- 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for making it so simple for us. Come over to chapter 21. Joshua 21, the land promises to Abraham, were they fulfilled? The Bible says they were fulfilled. Dispensationalists say they were not fulfilled because they want you to send money to Israel. Zionists say they were not fulfilled because they want you to say send money to Israel. Do you mean it's a lot about money? It is absolutely a lot about money. Joshua 21, verse 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. We don't care who C.I. Schofield is. We don't care how many agree with him, and not that many, because most people don't even care about these kind of things because they're just too biblical for them. But they'll care about the Jews because Hollywood cares (laughs) about the Jews. When was the last time you ever watched a movie that made fun of Jews all the way through, including the end? You never have. Nehemiah chapter 9. Come over to Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. Those two that I just gave you from Joshua used to be my favorites when I first learned these things and was able to look at my Schofield Bible and say, You are wrong. You are a heretic. You are false. I will not be a missionary to Israel like I had intended to be when I was in the 6th grade. I'll be, a, I'll be a missionary about Israel in a different way. In Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah is in prayer. Verse, oh, these are wonderful words. Amen. Verse 6. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth, and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. What a verse. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram, and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldeas, and gavest him the name of Abraham. Genesis 17. And foundest his heart faithful before thee, and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And so, for God to be God and for God to be righteous, he had to give the land to the Jews, to the, the biological, natural, literal descendants of Abraham, and he did. Right they lost it They lost it by disobedience. Yeah. And so then we could go to a set of verses that tell us that the land was given to Israel conditionally, and if they disobeyed, they'd be plucked off the land. But if plucked off the land and in other nations, they were to face Jerusalem and pray and repent, God would restore them to the land, and He did that. He did that to them. The biggest recovery was from Babylon. But He recovered the ten tribes... From being scattered by the Assyrians as well. And so, in the day of Pentecost, you know, we see a whole lot of Jews that are there in Jerusalem from all the tribes and from all over the world. They had come to that place. And so, you know, there's a whole string of verses about the promises only being conditional, that you can lose them based on disobedience. Then there's promises about the, the land being spiritual, and that was Hebrews 11. We went there last Sunday, didn't we? Hebrews 11. They didn't receive the promises. They looked for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. They were looking for a heavenly country, which tells us that Abraham understood the promises of the land being about heaven. And so we understand them that way. And we understand it because heaven is called Abraham's bosom. And the Jerusalem which is above is the mother of us all, Galatians. And here we have no continuing city but one to come, which is Jerusalem. There is no New Testament basis for Israel restored to the land. So So many sermons, so many ideas, so many Bible schematics that we viewed as children and youth are based on a lie. There's no New Testament idea about the Jews or Israel being back on the land promised to Abraham. Israel did possess the whole land. They were restored to it before their final scattering. Daniel 12, 7 says their final scattering would be in conjunction with 70 AD and the destruction of the nation. The the holy people would be scattered. The land of New Testament import is heaven. The city is the heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion above. Here there is no continuing city no matter what Zionists dream about. One final point before we go to lunch or for our break. Turn to Luke 21. Luke 21. Luke 21, and I've preached it before in sermons like the witness of 70 AD who is the seed of Abraham, the gospel millennium. Luke 21 and verse 24 has given me some degree of trouble over decades, that I just wanted to see it clearer. And oh, do I see it clearer right now. And if you took a little bit of time yesterday to do what I asked you to do under extra, you would have been blessed. Do you know what Luke 21 is about? 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus said, verse 23, to get you in connection with Matthew 24 and Mark 13, But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. That certainly isn't talking about the rapture. A woman's greatest ambition would be to be nursing a baby and be raptured into heaven. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. That's God judging the nation of Israel and destroying them in 70 AD. This is Luke 21. It's the same as Mark 13, and it's the same as Matthew 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That verse does not say that there is to be a recovery at all. The word until does not give you that liberty to do that to the verse. It simply is saying, for as long as the Gent- times of the Gentile last, Jerusalem is going to be trodden down of Gentiles. We are still in the times of the Gentiles. Jerusalem is still being trodden down of the Gentiles. I have preached it different ways using only a couple or three of the points I'm about to give you. This w- there will never be a change. There's nothing offered to the Jews for natural land in this world. There's only heaven offered. Paul would tell the Jews, Now ye are come unto the promise of the promised land. That you're, no, he said, now ye are coming to Mount Zion, which is above the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the spirits of just men made perfect, and all that, that's all that's held out for the Jews. So how do we understand this verse? See, in 1948, nine years before I was born, Israel got a state in this world. Is that state over there that's called Israel, 70% of which are Jews, only 30% of the world's Jews live in that state. Is that state trodden down of the Gentiles? Yes it is. Yes it is. Bear me. Oh Lord, I, I thank you and I praise you. I thank you and I praise you. Keep showing us things. Absolutely. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That is the last stage of this world is the time of the Gentiles, and they are going to be trodden down throughout that time all the way to the end when Jesus comes and burns the whole place up. Reason number one, there is no city or land or temple hope for Israel in the Bible, which I just proved to you by referring to Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus left their temple desolate, When he walked out of their temple, he had called it my father's house of prayer. He called it your house is left unto you desolate. It's called the consummation of the desolation in Daniel chapter 9. The Jews tried an independent state in 132 to 135 A.D. under the Roman Empire, but Emperor Hadrian came and destroyed them in fury and wouldn't let a Jew into the city of Jerusalem. It's been trodden down to the Gentiles like you wouldn't believe, and it still is. Just bear with me. Forbidding Jews into the city. Do you know what the Temple Mount is? I wish you'd have gone to it last night. I wish you'd have put it on the big screen. I wish you'd have watched five to ten videos. I wish you'd have watched drone coverage of it. I wish you'd have read a diagram of it showing who controls what part of that ground. There's 35 acres inside massive walls. Solomon first built some of those walls, the retaining walls, so that they could elevate it for the Temple Mount on top of Mount Moriah. They are massive retaining walls and above them is a flat surface. Herod made it very great. That was pulled down. The Muslims have made it very great after Herod, after, in the 600s A.D. They made it very great. So there is 35 acres up there of flat ground elevated up into the air on which sits the dome of the rock. A great big golden dome over the spot where Solomon's temple was and where Zerubbabel's temple was. Across from it is the third most important mosque in the world. Only after Mecca and Medina comes Jerusalem. And there is the dome of the chain and there are four minarets and it's 35 acres and they are all Islam. And the Jews love to have it so, because if they even whisper against it, they'll be put in the Mediterranean Sea. They are under the boots of Islam. There are 11 gates to get onto that plateau of the Temple Mount, 10 of them. If you are not a Muslim, you cannot even go through it. There's only one that you can go through. All 11 are guarded by Israeli state police all 11 because it's all by agreement there's a waqf w a q f which is an islamic trust that governs the whole area islam governs it waqf reports to the crown of jordan a jew cannot pray on temple mount the Mus- they will let jews up there a couple hours a day to look around they may not pray There are only prayers offered to Allah on that mountain. The Jews will not go to pray on the Temple Mount because the Jews believe by their rabbis that they might get near where the Holy of Holies was and there is still a residual presence of Jehovah there. No, there isn't. Your house is left unto you desolate. The Dome of the Rock is over the spot where Muhammad told his... Remember, he was an illiterate trader. He told his followers that one night, a baby horse that was white with wings took him and carried him to the farthest mosque. That's the Jerusalem mosque. And when he was there, he ascended up into heaven. And so the Dome of the Rock is over the Holy of Holies of Solomon, the Holy of Holies of Zerubbabel, and where Muhammad ascended up into heaven. You just got to look at this stuff. Mm-hmm. It just powerfully confirms who's in control of Jerusalem right now. It's being trodden underfoot of the Gentiles. They are told where they can pray and where they can't pray. Do you want to know what the wailing wall is? The wailing wall is, I wish I could go up there. Right. The wailing wall is the west retaining wall. It is 62 feet high that holds that dirt in on the top of which is the Dome of the Rock and the third most important mosque. But that wall down there, where they pray and stick their little prayers into the cracks between the rocks in paper, that whaling wall is just a little part of a retaining wall, and they're allowed to pray there in a little tiny area which you've seen before. I could give you a slideshow right now that, that burn your hearts with joy, but I said I was going to preach the gospel. This is the gospel. Amen. It'll be trodden down of Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Are we still believing the gospel is Gentiles? The time of the Gentiles is not yet fulfilled. He's got to bring in a few more of us and Jesus Christ is coming back. The Temple Mount is entirely Islam. In, in 1967, 19 years after they became a state, there was a six-day war. The Arabs were incredibly incompetent militarily. Egypt, Syria, and Jordan are the three nations I'm referring to. The Israel Defense Force went in three directions and wiped, the, and annihilated them in, three day, in six days. It's called the Six-Day War. World War I surplus does not hold up well against F-15s, F-14s, and the, and the equipment they had from the United States. You ought to see it. And once they turned and ran, that's, another, that's for another time, for 19 years, they called themselves the State of Israel, and they only had West Jerusalem. East Jerusalem was under control of the Arabs, the Temple Mount and everything around it. In that war, they took sort of control of East Jerusalem. Now, 30, 35 acres are off limits where their temple was. That temple, that temple Mount is the most important real estate in the world to a Jew. They can't pray on it. And they are only allowed on, on it when Muslims say they can go up there. But East Jerusalem was taken, and if you look at a map of East Jerusalem, it's divided into four or five segments. There's the Islamic section, which includes Temple Mount, but a whole lot more. There's the Christian section, which has the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Church of St. John the Baptist, all these Catholic and Orthodox inventions. And there's the Armenian section, and there's the Jewish section. The Jewish section is one-sixth of East Jerusalem. East Jerusalem is old Jerusalem. Old Jerusalem is David's Jerusalem in the minds of every single Jew. What was East Jerusalem is old Jerusalem, and it's truly what was Jerusalem. They have a one-sixth little section, and the important part on Temple Mount, they can't pray. They can just kiss the stones down below that are the retaining wall. The United Nations and the United States tell Israel what they can and cannot do, all the time. These peace treaties that have recently, recently been made, do you think they were made between Israel and an Arab country on their own, or was there someone there that had the enormous influence of foreign aid that dwarfs any other influence? Right. Our president, three of them, in the last 12 months, he deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. It's the U.N. and the U.S.A. tell Israel. We're the Gentiles telling Israel what they can and cannot do. They don't dare do anything without getting approval from it first from us. Only 30% of the Jews in the world live in Israel. Only 74% of Israel is Jewish. America has twice as many Jews as Israel does. 45% of Israel's Jews are Ashkenazi, which in their own testimony could very well be Gentile Khazars. Jesus called the Jews impostors and of the synagogue of Satan. And the word until in this verse does not require a change. It just says for the duration of the times of the Gentiles. The land promises. Were they fulfilled? Absolutely. Are they being fulfilled? Yes. Will they yet be fulfilled? Yes. When we're in heaven with Abraham, when we're in Abraham's bosom. Did God give the natural descendants of Abraham all the land? Yes, he did. He said he did. Did he give it to them for an everlasting possession? That was a conditional promise. They broke the terms. They lost the land he and mercy brought them back to the land when they repented for, based on other promises of his, that if they would repent, he would bring them back. Is Jerusalem today being trodden down of Gentiles? Absolutely. Dictating the terms of how that city functions. Well, we covered one promise. Stand with me, please.